the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Good evening. Happy Sunday. Welcome to Conversations with Joan. I'm your host, Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you had a great weekend. For the next hour, we're going to start your week on a positive note. I am so excited to be coming to you tonight from our new home, AM 970 The Answer. This is a fantastic station that promotes stimulating talk, and I'm happy to be part of their powerhouse lineup. Conversations with Joan will be airing right here in this time slot every Sunday night at 10 p.m. Each week, I will speak with some of the most inspirational and influential people in the world, people who are making a difference, people who are changing lives. We will focus on important topics that impact your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Thought leaders and experts will join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive. It's my goal to help you live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. My first guest today, Mark Nepo, teaches about the importance of community and cultivating connectedness in order to live more and rich lives. According to Mark, despite the hardships always present, we need each other more than ever, and we're more together than alone. Mark is the author of the new book, More Together Than Alone, Discovering the Power and Spirit of Community in Our Lives and in the World. Mark is the author of 20 books, including the number one New York Times bestseller, The Book of Awakening. He traveled the country with Oprah Winfrey on her The Life You Want tour and has appeared several times on Super Soul Sunday. Mark will be appearing this October at the New York Open Center. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. It's great to be with you. So, Mark, you just wrote a book that's entitled More Together Than Alone, and in it, you discuss the power of community in our lives and in the world. In today's world, Mark, sometimes it feels like things are going crazy. I was speaking with a friend of mine the other day, and she remarked that it feels like the world is upside down and nothing is making sense to her. And I know when I feel that way, and I'm sure others do as well, We tend to isolate and withdraw and sometimes even hide. So why is community so important, especially when life doesn't make sense? Well, that's a wonderful question, and I I feel it too in the age that we're in. And and I think one of the things is I've looked throughout history and cross-culturally for all the different stories of when we've worked well together is that just as the sea, you know, waves crest and then they dip into a belly and then they crest... There have been periods in history where we have pushed each other away, 
and periods when we come together. And it seems so much goes back to the age-old and really timeless choice between fear and love. And, you know, one of the things that's so powerful is that just when we're feeling like we want to retreat, I think we're challenged to be more present than ever and to lean back in because so much depends on what every single person does. You know, uh, Mother Teresa defined courage as doing small things with love. And if you look at, um, so let's take a minute and, and use a biological analogy from the body that, you know, a body is roughly considered healthy if there's just one more healthy cell than toxic. We'd like a lot more to be healthy, but as long as there's just one more healthy cell than toxic, the, the body has a chance. And if we look at humanity as a global body and every soul is a cell, then every conversation like we're having, every gesture of kindness, every question we ask, every helping someone when they fall down is strengthening the immune system of humanity. You know, another thing that, that I think is so powerful is, you know, back in, in the um, Middle Ages in Europe were known, we learned in school, they were the Dark Ages and not much learning was happening and there was a lot of fear and there was a lot of, didn't have all the technology, but a lot of the same things of pushing each other away and uh, repelling each other out of fear. And during that time, only 10% of Europe was literate. And 10% of the population kept literacy alive for 200 years or more so that we could still learn and grow. And, and today, that's why it's so important that each of us, that we come together, that we face our fear, that we acknowledge, yes, this is a strange time. Things don't seem to be aligning because it's incumbent on us to keep the literacy of the heart alive. What's so hopeful about what you just said is that history will show us that although things don't seem to make sense today, there have been periods of time in the past when things didn't make sense and we got through those and we were able to thrive and and we will again now. Well, yes. And, you know, one of the things is because I, like everyone else, have been very upset and uh, by so many of the things that are happening, which seem to me to be below politics that it's not about left or right, it's about decency, it's about compassion and helping each other. It's made me reflect, you know, I have a chapter in the book called The Two Tribes, and it made me reflect and look back throughout history and imagine all the way back in cave times, imagine when the first two people came upon each other, that they didn't realize there was anyone else, and Maybe one person came to the mouth of a cave and they saw each other. They went, oh, my God, who are you? Mm-hmm. Well, I imagine that that one in the cave looked at his other and said, you're different. Go away out of fear. And I think that was the beginning of the go away tribe. And depending on our level of fear and how we let it run our lives, then throughout history, we've had periods of time where the go away tribe, they said, you know, I... I can't trust you'll go away, so I've got to put you where I can watch you. I'll put you in a camp or a ghetto or a refugee center. And in the worst periods where fear has been so overcoming, we've had terrible periods of genocide 
where people have said, well, I can't trust you'll be where I put you. I'm going to make you go away. But on the other side, <clears throat> the person who saw them from the outside said, oh, you're different. Come teach me. And that was the beginning of the come teach me tribe. And when we have recognized that, oh, thank God you're not me. Together we will be more together than alone. And, you know, Plato was of that that side. And he said, we're born whole, W-H-O-L-E, but we need each other to be complete. And all the spiritual traditions talk about this in one way or another. In the Christian traditions where two or more are gathered. In the Jewish tradition, God is known as an indwelling presence that, like a seed, that unless it's watered, it doesn't sprout. That doesn't come out of us except through relationship. So in the best one of the Come Teach Me tribe, we've had the greatest periods and stories of enlightenment and, and where we've worked well together and, and kind and compassionate times. But the catch here, Joan, is that we belong to both tribes. And depending on the level of fear I wake up with tomorrow, I'm, I'm devoted to the Come Teach Me tribe, but I could be thrown into fear tomorrow by something that happens, and I'll need you to remind me, no, 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 wait, 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 we're you know, I'm more together than alone. This is a challenge every day for each of us. Mark, in our world today, technology brings us together. It's so much easier to connect with other people in one way, Technology makes the world very small. You can type a few words, hit send, and you're in touch with someone thousands of miles away. So we're connected. But I'm not sure that we're connected in the way that's important. I think, let's use Facebook or texting. You know, you can type something to someone, be anonymous, click send, and then go about your day. Whatever that message is that you send, you don't need to look at the person's face when he or she receives it, or look into that person's eyes, or see the tears. It's so easy to hurt another and not even let it impact you. What do you believe technology has done to our relationships? Well, I I agree with you. It's very interesting because technology is a tool. It's inert. There's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't have values. It doesn't make us do those things where we're separated, we do that. And so the way that I hold it is that if we, and this has been throughout history, because mm-hmm. like, listen, we're able to talk today through technology. I welcome it. It's wonderful. But it is not a substitute for what you've talked about, about looking each other in the eye and for the connection and the deep listening and holding that has always been uh, necessary in human interaction. So what is this about? Well, I think if we don't meet the outer world with an inner life, it doesn't mean we have to have things figured out, but we don't meet the outer world with our authenticity and our vulnerability and our truth, then the way water will fill an empty hole, then technology and everything else from the outside will fill us by default. So if I'm not present with you, really present with you in our call, then technology will take over the traits of it. I won't be where I am. Things will be happening in more than one place at the same time. I'll be moving too fast. So when I'm looking at, at, on TV, 
And I see, you know, technology is wonderful in that, you know, in Lincoln's time, when he gave his second inaugural address, which has become such a famous one, it took six weeks for the Pony Express to carry it in, on a piece of paper to California. Right. We are blessed that today we can see what's happening around the world, good, bad, everything. But then it happens 45 times in an hour. And we get desensitized. And our job, I feel my job is, I don't need 45 times, I need once. So I need to put my heart out and open and really receive that what I'm seeing is real and happening and let it into my heart. And then be with that and digest it and internalize it and not stay on the surface and go back and see it 45 times where it will drain me of my capacity to feel it. So it's how do I respond to this? Mark, how do you go about doing that? How do you advise when people are literally addicted to their phones and technology? How do they break that cord? Well, I think, and again, I don't have answers, and I struggle, even though I struggle with, you know, I myself, it's so easy to to get addicted to it, you know, um, always looking. I think two things that happened for me that I think are important that I try to practice is remembering to slow down because things that matter take time. And I don't need to move at the speed of all the tools. The tools need to serve our humanity, not the other way around. So I need, this is what I mean about meeting the outer life with an inner life. I need to slow down and move at the pace of what is real. What do I mean by that? I mean that I practice that I try to do is to try when my mind and heart and body are moving at the same pace, I all of a sudden everything starts to have that extra glow. Every the miracle starts to of life starts to appear again. And then my mind races and I fall out of it. But the practice is to bring my mind and body and heart. You can't stay there all the time, but when I am moving too fast or I find myself being pulled into these things of technology and other things, what can I do to come back to the pace of what is real? And what can I do to open my heart and lean in and listen and listen? So that because what happens with in our modern world globally is that we everything pushes us to this false assumption that life is other than where we are. Oh, it's over there. If I could just get over there, if I could just have that relationship or that job or live in that place or look like that person or behave like that. And that is life draining because the truth, all the spiritual traditions speak of it in different ways. There is no there. There's only here. And so by listening and, and making a practice of listening and opening our heart and returning to the pace of what is real, our eyes and ears and heart slow down enough to open up again and to take things in. You know, Mark, from doing this work, I have the opportunity to go out and meet so many people, as you do. And what I've seen is that there just seems to be more and more people that have this 
empty space within them. It's like they're searching for the meaning of life. They're they're missing this inner happiness and joy. And I'm not sure if it's the result of the fast-paced life that we live. What is it that you think is happening in society today? Well, I think that, you know, people today are facing the same things we've always faced. I think some of the pressures are very different because of modern times. And so, you know, I think that the the technology and the and I and the technology is inert. It's a tool. It's what we do with it. There's nothing wrong. I don't want to give up the technology by which we're talking right now, you know. But technology is fast. It is split focus, and it always kind of makes you think life is other than where you are. And it it allows us to connect like this. But it also if we're not present, it encloses us in isolation. So you add that on top of the normal journey, the normal journey that every person has to go to, to face life, to work with what's in the way, to take the risk to open your heart. And yes, you might get hurt. You probably will at some level, but then our soul comes fully in the open and we can embrace life. So it's almost like there's an added bark around us like bark on a tree from the modern world and how fast and how crowded and how so this is why there's so much emphasis i think today on stillness on being quiet on slowing down so that we can realize and remember that there's nothing between us and life wherever we are so so you know one practice that's very simple but very challenging is whenever we're confused, whenever we're feeling empty or out of touch, is to just stop wherever we are and to hold nothing back, to breathe and open our heart till we can see what's before us in all its beauty. And to wait, have the quiet courage to wait, because you may stop and look and then you go, well, nothing's happening. Well, stopping is not the same thing as opening. It's definitely time for all of us to have a wake-up call because we're walking around stressed out. We're making ourselves sick. And studies show that when people are involved with others, when they're intimate and they're part of a community, they're happier and they're healthier. But when they're isolated, they're stressed, they suffer from disease, and they die earlier. So it really is time for all of us to wake up. Well, you know, it's just one of the things I found um, in in doing all this research about community throughout different cultures is that, you know, the word idiot, we understand idiot as that's a derogatory term. It means you're stupid. It means you're not paying attention. Well, that's not what the word originally meant. I was amazed to discover it comes from a Greek word, idiotes, and it means someone that is so isolated, they collapse onto themselves. It, it means, it originally meant someone who pushes themselves away from community and relationships. So being an idiot was a, a sad, isolated position, not a stupid one. Mark, we've been talking about the benefits to us as an individual from community, but when we're engaged and we're intimate with others as part of a community, how does society benefit as a whole? Oh, my goodness. Well, society benefits because 
And again, let's go back to a biological metaphor. In the bloodstream, you can't have a healthy bloodstream unless you have healthy cells. And the other side is that if you don't have a bloodstream, you know, veins and arteries to carry it, no matter how healthy the cells are, there's no place for them to live. So we need each other. We need each other to, uh, and, and this is so interesting that in different cultures, there are different strengths and we need not to choose one culture over another, but to, to, to learn from the strengths of each. So in this regard, one of the strengths in the Western world has been over the last 200 years, the development of the individual, of self-reliance, of independence. But the shadow of that is manifesting in all the things we've been talking about, self-centeredness and uh, self-interest. And now let's move to Africa. In the African continent, their, their inborn sense of community is so strong and this was another thing I was amazed to, to learn, that in all the African cultures and tribes and languages, there's no word for orphan because there's no need for the word. If someone, if parent dies, the child is automatically cared for by the community. So they don't even have a need for that word. Mm-hmm. So that's that's amazing and so powerful and wonderful and so we need the best of all the different cultures and traditions to help us wake up and return to discovering this sense that and, and I think that we are more together than alone because great love and great suffering remind us that we need each other you know this is one of the deep paradoxes of life that no one can live your life for you, but no one can do it alone. And it's interesting because we open this conversation talking about how the world doesn't make sense today and we feel so divided. But the answer, as you're saying, is within us. By being together in love and compassion and kindness and understanding, each one of us can heal those that division. We can heal what we're feeling what we're complaining about we we have power to do this yes we do and the power comes from being who we are telling our stories listening to the experience of others not their opinion and asking for those stories because stories are medicine they root us you know one of the things this is another great uh, community metaphor from the natural world is aspen groves now an aspen grove can be hundreds of square miles. But the amazing thing about aspen trees is above ground, they're obviously individual trees, but below ground, they share one root system. That root system could be square miles wide and, and, and long. And so they're interconnected. So the health of one tree depends on the other. And and so the same thing with human beings, you know, we obviously we're individual people and we have our individual dreams and work and problems and struggles, but in under the ground, in the invisible ground of spirit, we, humanity has one interrelated root system. So if my, if I'm, if I'm diseased, you need to care, not just because you're kind, 
but because it's going to affect your roots too. That's right. And you know, Mark, in your book, you write, the first strength of character for a leader is to assess the needs of the community and to find the means by which to enhance everyone's capacity. When we hear those words, we tend to think of leaders of countries or a manager of a company, someone that we perceive to be an authority. But these words apply to every one of us. It's up to each one of us to lift up another to enhance another person's capacity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think that we, each of us is a leader when we are authentic in, in our soul. And, and what's so amazing, and I, I, heard, I learned stories throughout history here, that we do not, we are more than what is done to us. We do not have to continue both personally, interrelationally, and societally patterns that we have inherited. You know, and a, a great example of that is uh, Lorenzo Medici, who really was one of the people who helped start the Renaissance in the in the 1400s he he was uh the heir of a very rich banking family and when he was in his 20s um he experienced unbelievable brutality because in in the church in florence italy amidst hundreds of people his his father and his brother were assassinated and he was wounded it was an awful awful experience and his grief and everything, he could have he could have responded becoming as brutal. But instead, he said, I, I want to take my grief and try to build a better world. And he, gathered, he used the money he inherited to create the Medici Circle where he gathered the greatest minds and artists of his time and created what was known as the Medici Garden. And in that garden was one of... Uh, one of the geniuses of the age was a young man, Pico, who learned 23 languages by the time he was 20. And he was reading everything he could, and what he wanted to do was see if there was one common value or theme in all the different traditions and things that were written. And after writing 900 treaties about all of this, he came back to Lorenzo and all the other people in the garden, and he said, Friendship is the end of all philosophy. Friendship. The book is More Together Than Alone, Discovering the Power and Spirit of Community in Our Lives and in the World. If you'd like to learn more about Mark and his work, you can visit marknepo.com. Mark, in our final moments, you're going to be at the New York Open Center this October 26th and 27th. Tell us a little bit about that event. Well, it's going to be a publication event and workshop reading conversation on Friday night. Um, and on Saturday, on an all-day workshop that will go into greater depth around the book and all of the themes that it opens that we've been talking about. And I'm very excited to be uh, starting to be able to bring this out and to be in community with others about it. Yeah, you know, Mark, this is just such an important topic and and i'm so happy that you've been here with us today to spend time talking about this as we were saying we're feeling so disconnected and, and when we're disconnected we tend to isolate but that's not going to serve us or our world well so i want to leave everyone with a thought that you had in your book 
the health of all community depends on how well we treat each other and it's really that simple so thank you mark for being here with us oh well thank you joe it's wonderful to, to be with you again we're going to take a short break when we return i'll be speaking with colleen alexander a woman who was run over by a freight truck and lived to tell her story stay with us you don't want to miss it this is conversations with joan we'll be right back How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. If you gain weight despite relentless exercise and willpower with dieting, if you suffer from low energy and feel like you could sleep all day, if you struggle to focus as brain fog sets in for no apparent reason, and if you're constantly hungry, often craving sugary foods, then join me on Wednesday, October 17th for a special Conversations with Joan event. Are you feeling fat, flabby, fatigued, foggy, or forgetful? My guest for this evening of health is Dr. Lorraine Maida, who is a recognized and award-winning holistic, functional, and integrative medicine physician and author. Dr. Maida will discuss how you can regain your health, reignite your life, and enjoy greater clarity, focus, energy, and happiness. Learn to live healthier with energy, vitality, strength, stamina, and self-confidence. Be less reliant on medications. Improve your brain function. Learn how to manage your weight and incorporate movement into your daily life. Joining in the conversation are Mark Anthony, a personal trainer, Jackie Klein, a certified nutrition consultant, and Dr. Michael Magwood, a chiropractor. The event is being held Wednesday, October 17th, 7 p.m. at the Raphael Center in Clifton, New Jersey. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash conversations. That's cyacyl.com slash conversations. I hope you'll join us. Let's start talking. News. Opinion. Passion. This is AM 970. The Answer. It's clear in 66 degrees. What's going on? We have the answer. A distressed man threatening suicide is safe thanks to the NYPD. Officers rescued the man who had climbed onto a cable on the bridge around 9.30 this morning. After negotiating with him for more than an hour, they were able to coax him down around 10.45 a.m. Traffic was brought to a standstill while the rescue was underway. A New Jersey man is dead after contracting a brain-eating amoeba from a wave pool in a resort in Texas. According to the Waco Tribune Herald, 29-year-old Fabrizio Stabile of Ventnor died of the rare illness at the Atlantic City Medical Center. BSR Cable Park's surf resort has been shut down as a precaution as officials test the water. Swimmers can contract the infection via contaminated water that gets into their mouths or noses. The amoeba causes encephalitis and death within 18 days after infection. In sports, Mets beat the Marlins 1-zip. Yankees lost to the Red Sox 10-2. Giants lost, and the Jets lost as well. 
Traffic delays, well, the inbound George Washington Bridge, that upper level is still a solid hour. Lower level has some EMS activity getting cleared. Palisades approaches a 20-minute wait, and the Route 4 and 46 approaches are 40 minutes. Lincoln Tunnel delays city bound are 20 minutes. Holland inbound is a 25-minute wait from the New Jersey Turnpike and 30 minutes from the 1 and 9 approach. Outbound Holland will cost you 20 minutes. Over in New Jersey, we did have some earlier delays on the Garden State Parkway. Apparently, that was due to a crash. Looks like things have eased a bit. Traffic looking pretty good on the New Jersey Turnpike as well. Weather for tonight, some clouds low 62 degrees. We'll see a mixture of clouds and sun for tomorrow. High 79. Partly to mostly cloudy is expected on Tuesday. Maybe a scattered shower or thunderstorm in the afternoon, but highs will reach 80. You now know what's going on. I'm Amy Salerno on AIM 970, The Answer. Selfless service is the guiding principle that drives Army National Guard soldiers to be always ready whenever disaster strikes. Every Army National Guard member serves not only to protect the nation, but also their local communities, so they each have a stake in the security and well-being of the neighborhoods where they live and work. They are your next-door neighbors and your colleagues in schools, offices, and factories. Since the early days of our republic, the Army National Guard has continued its timeless commitment to guarantee peace and security for all Americans, a proud legacy which has endured for nearly four centuries. To be a Guard soldier is to stand ready to serve at all times for family, for community, and for country. Selfless service, it's what inspires the men and women of the Army National Guard to be part of something greater than themselves. To learn more, log on to NationalGuard.com or contact an Army National Guard recruiter in your area. Sponsored by the New Jersey Army National Guard, aired by the New Jersey Broadcasters Association and this station. Tweet us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. We're everywhere. AM 970. com. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. In 2011, my next guest, Colleen Alexander, was run over by a freight truck. After five weeks in a coma and 29 surgeries, Colleen survived. Rather than let the trauma and depression control her life, she became determined to find a way to turn her pain into something positive. A lifelong athlete, she decided she would run again and dedicate her medals to the everyday heroes around us. Since then, Colleen has run 50 races and completed 40 triathlons, including four half Ironman events. Now a spokesperson for the Red Cross, she shares her story to encourage others to take that first step forward. Colleen is the author of the new book, Gratitude in Motion, a true story of hope, determination, and the everyday heroes around us. Welcome, Colleen. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Colleen, thank you so much for being here because you have such an inspiring story. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about what your life was like before the accident. What were you doing and and what were you experiencing at that time? It was going really well. My husband and I had been married for about a year. We just moved to Connecticut. I started a new job. We were actively trying to have our, our first little one. We were enjoying life. Okay, so everything was going well and your life was on track. So let's talk about that day. What happened that changed everything for you? Um, October 8th was just a gorgeous fall day and I had been called in for a work meeting on a Saturday 
and I always rode my bike into work. As long as weather permitted, I would ride in. And it's about 10 miles each way. I had a wonderful meeting with my supervisor. Left, was halfway home, and unfortunately, a large freight truck uh, blew a stop sign and ran over me. The front and back sets of tires. Colleen, what were the extent of your injuries? Um, they were significant. My entire body from right below my xiphoid process down past my knees was run over. So if you would imagine uh, the double set of tires on a, a freight truck. So thankfully, my heart was missed. But I was run over twice um, and dragged. I was basically gutted apart. The doctor described it much like if you were to put an apple on one of those old-fashioned apple peelers, mm-hmm. crank it to take the skin off. That's what happened to the vast majority of my body. My pelvis was literally snapped into two pieces. I had an open book break. And then my leg was just crushed and my ankle was crushed and uh, back and front ends were were completely ripped apart. So I thankfully was backboarded and brought to Yale. I flatlined two minutes, approximately two minutes of of getting in. My femoral artery had also been ripped apart. And the journey of just trying to bring Colleen back started. So I began going into cardiac arrest. Um, They said basically as quickly as they could get blood and, and body products into my system, I was just Training them out. My chief trauma surgeon described it like if you were to change a fish tank and you left the motor running, you forgot to unplug it. So you're draining the water out of the tank and the motor just starts struggling to try to siphon that water. And eventually the motor just burns out. And essentially my heart muscle was working so hard to try to bring whatever blood was left in my body. And there just wasn't enough blood left. So I began flatlining. And as I had um, approximately 20 people circling my body in the, the trauma bag giving CPR for over 20 minutes, there were surgeons trying to screw my pelvis back together. And apparently it was just a, a, a pretty chaotic scene. Colleen, so, do you have any memory of this at all? I have too many memories, unfortunately. So I remember the entire trauma very, very vividly, um, everything up until I coded the first time in the, the trauma day. And then my next memories are of being in a coma and being able to hear um, and smell and taste, but I couldn't move anything, um, including I couldn't breathe for myself. Yeah, the memories are, um, are present. So Colleen, these professionals used their medical genius to fix whatever they could, and then it was time for you to heal. What was your recovery like? very intimidating and very scary. So nobody knew the extent of how well I would recover. We knew that it was going to take years. Um, Over 50% of my body had lost its skin. So we were aware that at minimum, I would be growing skin back for about a year to a year and a half, and that I would have um, several surgeries. Uh, We weren't sure how well I'd be able to ambulate um, if I'd ever walk again. So there was a lot of unknowns and my medical staff was really incredible with me that they were always very honest. Um, They were always just very, very raw with me with, you know, first of all, you survived and this is incredible and we're going to be right here with you for every step moving forward. And as long as you're willing to fight and work hard, we're right here with you to fight and work hard. So the race, the series of races, I think, began for me once I woke up out of that coma. Colleen, were there times when you said, I just can't do this anymore, I'm too tired, I can't fight on? And and if there were, what kept you going? Yeah, there absolutely was. Um, the pain in itself was 
very difficult to just know how to exist. And having, I had wound changes daily, sometimes three, four hours at a, at a pop, um, which were very, very humiliating. And um, the thing that I started to learn was that I had had all of these people that donated blood mm-hmm. um, and that my heart had only been restarted because of these multiple units of, of blood that were given to me. But I learned the magnitude of heroes behind me and I learned that I had had these hands-on CPR compressions. And the very act of the human family became so real and so powerful for me that I knew I wasn't alone. So that has really been um, the driving force for me is that I'm part of something far bigger than Mm -hmm. just this this incident that happened in my life. Well, Colleen, we all go through different types of trauma or challenges. What is your message to someone who feels like he or she can't go on? Is it that we're part of something bigger? That we're a part of something bigger and also that it is completely okay to not be okay sometimes. I believe that in our society, we are taught that if you're going through a tough time, suck it up and get through it. Um, you know, if you have chronic pain, if you have depression, if you've had a death in your life, if you've had a disease or whatever it is, we rarely are given the permission to mourn and be messy. And more than anything, I think for people to understand that the most beautiful, beautiful pieces of art come out of really, really messy art studios. Mm -hmm. And we have to give ourselves permission to be messy and and to know that at our weak moments, we have no less uh, self-worth. Our worth is still there. It's still great. It's still strong. Um, But we need assistance at that time. And that doesn't, you know, make us any weaker. Colleen, since it was the lower part of your body that sustained the most damage, why did you choose to run again? Did that make some kind of a statement for you? Absolutely. Um, So running has never been easy for me. Uh, I had brain surgery prior. I have lupus. Uh, Running has always been very, very painful um, because it's joint related. And so I did run, but predominantly so I could do triathlon, but I didn't love it. And once I was bedridden thinking I might never run again, the only thing I wanted to do was run. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I would never run as good as I ran before, but I used to dream of running. I would just imagine my body just moving forward. And running became this catalyst for me that I could say thank you to so many people that had helped me live and thrive. And when we do races, uh, typically we get a medal at the end, a finisher's medal. And when trying to to thank a hero, there's not many things that we can really, uh, well, that I could think of that I could give to a hero to really thank them. I and mean, it's certainly my verbal words, giving them a hug, giving them a card. Um, but to be able to go out and literally take these journeys, these physical journeys of strength, and then get this medal and be able to hand it to a hero um, became this impetus to run. And then I thought, started thinking, oh my goodness, well, I have all of these doctors and surgeons and I have all my physical therapists and oh my goodness, look at all these races I have to do. It became a, a very different experience. And then I had 30 surgeries. So in order to go under anesthesia each and every time, I wanted to be as strong cardiovascularly as I possibly could be. And so mm-hmm. I no longer raced to place, but I would race to be as strong as possible to go in for the next surgery. So running just, um, yeah, it has a whole different meaning for me now. It's, it's very, uh, very journey and spiritually driven. How has all of this changed you? I just appreciate the days 
a little bit differently now. It's forced me to really relive a lot of my infancy because I was incontinent for a long time. Um, I was dependent on everyone for for everything, food, drink, water, air. Um, you know, I, I relearned to walk. I had to relearn basic math. I relearned so much. And through that experience, I, I thought, you know, that little Colleen that was there so many years ago that was learning these things is still very much a part of me today. And learning how to nurture that younger self um, in my present state has been really beautiful. The book is Gratitude in Motion, a true story of hope, determination, and the everyday heroes around us. If you would like to get more information about Colleen and her work, you can visit ColleenKellyAlexander.com. Colleen, in about 30 seconds or less, what's a takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? There's a lot of uh, turmoil that's happening in our world, all around us in our communities, and remember that love is always louder. We are part of a beautiful human family, and just look at each other, look at yourself, remembering that our hearts all all bleed the same blood, and we we need each other to survive, and how beautiful our, our human family really is. Colleen, thank you so much for being here with us today. Your story is so inspiring, and it reminds us that anything in life is possible, and also that wonderful things can come out of the darkness. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. We're going to take a break for empowering tips from our Good Life team. There's more conversations with Joan when we return, so stay with us. We'll be right back. We all have disagreements and conflict in our relationships. When someone makes us angry or frustrated and our emotions are running high, it's human nature to want to scream, yell, or make accusations. However, nothing really gets accomplished when we take the gloves off. Hi, I'm Donna Ciccone, an integrative psychotherapist. There are rules on how to resolve conflict, but we may have never learned them. It's not as much as about what we say, but how we say it. In order to successfully settle a difference, here's what you can do. Stop and do not engage if you are too upset to have a meaningful conversation. Next, you must pause and use a strategy such as deep breathing to bring the body out of stress mode to a calmer state. This may prove difficult, but if you skip this step, your attempt at resolving conflict will undoubtedly fail. When you're calm, talk about yourself and your feelings, not the other person. Use an I statement, which is a simple and direct way to state how you feel about what they did to make you upset. Be mindful of your nonverbal communication. Your tone of voice, body language, and facial expressions send strong messages. In fact, research shows that communication is 93% nonverbal. Focus on the issue of the moment. Bringing up other problems or concerns makes it much more difficult to resolve the current conflict. Be understanding. There's a reason behind why we behave the way we do. Just as you'd like the other party to understand where you're coming from, make an effort to understand what may have motivated their actions. Learn more about how to resolve conflict. Connect with me at DonnaSaccone.com. Have you considered feng shui when selling your home? Hi, I'm Roxanne D'Angelo, a certified feng shui and space clearing consultant. Upon entering a home, we are absorbing the energetic blueprint of that space. According to the Neuroscientific Academy, once we enter a space, our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual bodies are affected, even our minds. Let's take a look at different aspects of our home before we put it on the market to sell. When potential clients visit your home, they need to envision themselves and their family members living there. It is important to depersonalize your home as much as possible. So if you have a lot of family photos throughout your home, now would be a good time to pack them away, leaving your space open and free for new prospects to dream. 
Before showing your home, have a space clearing session performed by a professional, which would allow fresh positive light energy to permeate your space. Homes that have this service done on an average sell much quicker due to the positive energy flow that is noticeable to potential buyers. Infusing a sense of warmth and love into your home before putting it on the market is at the top of my list for manifesting a quick sale. Make sure your home smells delicious right before a showing. Lavender or citrus are great scents to use for this purpose. Smelling certain scents can bring back wonderful memories of good times spent with our families and friends. If you'd like more information, you can visit me on the web at crystalclearenergies.com or call 2 Thermography has been comprehensively researched for over 30 years. While it is not a replacement for mammography and other imaging techniques, it may have many valuable assets including early detection of neurovascular patterns, adjunct to inconclusive mammograms, improved detection for women with dense breasts or implants, or a reasonable alternative for women who refuse mammogram. Hi, I'm Lisa Mack, Certified Clinical Thermographer, here with a few facts about medical thermography. In 1982, the FDA approved breast thermography as an adjunct breast screening procedure. Of the extensive research conducted since the late 1950s, well over 300,000 women have been included as study participants. An abnormal thermogram is 10 times more significant as a future risk indicator for breast disease than a first-order family history. A persistent abnormal thermogram carries with it a 22 times higher risk of future breast disease. Extensive clinical trials have shown the breast thermography significantly augments the long-term survival rates of its recipients by as much as 61%. If you'd like to learn more about breast thermography, visit lisasthermographyandwellness.com. We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Harriet Cabelli, a social worker and positive psychology coach who helps people grow through their challenges and rebuild their lives with renewed meaning and joy. Harriet is here today to discuss strength finding. Welcome, Harriet. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Joan. Thanks for having me on your show. Harriet, strength finding is a hot topic today. What is it and how can we incorporate it into our life? Positive psychology is a branch of traditional psychology which came about, became very popular around 20 years ago and really is the psychology of what's working well. In fact, the idea of WWW, literally what's working well, it's become an exercise almost where people incorporate that into their gratitude exercises, what's working well today, what am I grateful for? And the idea behind that really is to focus on the positives, not at the exclusion of the negatives. It's not Pollyanna-ish. It's just the idea that when we begin to look at what's working or what the strengths are in a relationship or in our lives that where we have problems, we can start to use some of those strengths in other areas and come in it from a different vantage point. So our work is trying to refocus ourselves and train ourselves to begin to focus more on the positives and what's working well and the strengths 
not only seeing the negatives. And this goes for all relationships, parent to child, boss to employee, um, partners, marriages, anything. It's just human connections in ways and within ourselves, also our self-relationship, so that we can start to see and pull out people their strengths. And when we do that, people really perform much more at an optimum. We know basics of, of training, even dog training, that when we give, give um, after a dog does something, a trick or something we're training him for, and we give him a, a piece of dog food, we know that that reward promotes the behavior again. And the same thing with children or all of us. We, we yearn for praise and acknowledgement. And when we get that praise, what do we do with it? Well, we want, to, we want to put forth that action again or that behavior again so that we get more praise, so that we get more pleasure from somebody else. That's what this really is. It's looking for the strengths in someone and then acknowledging it and then bringing it forth. And what that eventually does is it helps people to live into their best selves. It helps people shine. It helps people perform better. That's helping people reach their potential. And that's what living well is really all about. Harriet, thank you so much for being here with us. If you would like to learn more about strength finding, or if you'd like to learn more about Harriet and her work, you can visit her website, rebuildlifenow.com. And as always, to hear more from Harriet, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com forward slash Harriet. If you gain weight despite relentless exercise and willpower with dieting, if you suffer from low energy and feel like you could sleep all day, if you struggle to focus as brain fog sets in for no apparent reason, and if you're constantly hungry, often craving sugary foods, then join me on Wednesday, October 17th for a special Conversations with Joan event. Are you feeling fat, flabby, fatigued, foggy, or forgetful? My guest for this evening of health is Dr. Lorraine Maida, who is a recognized and award-winning holistic, functional, and integrative medicine physician and author. Dr. Maida will discuss how you can regain your health, reignite your life, and enjoy greater clarity, focus, energy, and happiness. Learn to live healthier with energy, vitality, strength, stamina, and self-confidence. Be less reliant on medications. Improve your brain function. Learn how to manage your weight and incorporate movement into your daily life. Joining in the conversation are Mark Anthony, a personal trainer, Jackie Klein, a certified nutrition consultant, and Dr. Michael Magwood, a chiropractor. The event is being held Wednesday, October 17th, 7 p.m. at the Raphael Center in Clifton, New Jersey. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash conversations. That's cyacyl.com slash conversations. I hope you'll join us. Let's start talking. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.
The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.